Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story comes from west of Edinburgh. It's a truly fascinating case. So that was Christmas then, for another year. How was it for you? All set for staying in New Year's Eve? (laughs) As we head to the end of 2020, let me just say a huge thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast this year. I hope that, like me, you're excited about a much more positive 2021. And what better way to start than by winning my Patreon competition, which closes on the 31st of December, so not long now. The prize is to join me here in Edinburgh, where I will treat you and a friend, partner, to lunch or dinner at one of the best restaurants in the city on a day of your choice in 2021. If you prefer or have no plans to come to Edinburgh next year, I will send you the three best true crime books that I read in 2021. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime to have a chance of winning and there is still two months free membership available until the end of this month. And talking to Patreon, a huge thank you to all my supporters here, especially the new members of this exclusive club who are John Cleland, Jeremy Maspero, Tom Goff, Sophie Harrison, Dina Newbury and Eleanor Ross. Thank you all so much for your support. And when you join Patreon, please don't forget to add your postal address so I can send you some goodies. We have no adverts today, so let's get straight on with setting some context for today's story and, of course, playing our favourite guest of month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was Blondie with Maria. In the US, it was Britney Spears with Baby One More Time. Remember when that first came out? The top album in Australia was Come On Over from Shania Twain. In the news this month, US President Bill Clinton was acquitted by the Senate in his impeachment trial. OJ Simpson's 1968 Heisman Trophy was sold for $230,000 to help settle a $33.5 million civil judgment against Simpson for the deaths of his ex-wife and her friend. The Football Association dismissed Glenn Hoddle as England manager due to the controversy sparked by his comments about disabled people. And in true crime news, the report into the murder of London teenager Stephen Lawrence, who was stabbed to death in 1993, condemned London's police force as institutionally racist, as well as condemning its officers for fundamental errors. Did you guess the month and year? It was February 1999. For today's story, we are in Scotland, in Broxburn, West Lothian, which is a small town located around 12 miles west of Edinburgh, and probably best known in the past for the oil shale industry. In the early part of 1999, Yvonne Davidson lived in a grey pebblestone terrace of four council houses in Broxburn. Yvonne was 34 years old and lived with her partner, Craig McCrate. The two had met in 1996 and he'd quickly moved into her house. Yvonne worked as a pub manager at the Clifton Arms in Broxburn, and she had two children aged eight and six with her previous partner, Darren. She had another child with Craig in June 1997. Yvonne was always full of energy. She was a happy-go-lucky type character who really put her time and effort into two things, running the pub to make it a fantastic place and looking after her children, 
giving them all that she possibly could. Craig's income was up and down depending on his work situation. He tended to be in and out of work, generally gaining work as a fencer when he could. Despite being supposedly in a committed relationship with Yvonne, Craig struggled to settle down. He was immature and still saw himself as a bit of a man about town. He had been having an affair with another woman behind Yvonne's back. This other woman became pregnant in 1998 and gave birth almost a year to the day after the date when Craig and Yvonne had welcomed their own daughter into the world. The affairy, if there is such a word, let the relevant government departments know that Craig was the father of her child. Once the child support agency got involved and wanted money from Craig, the reality of what he'd done hit him, and his response was to adamantly deny being the father. The other woman knew where Craig lived and was understandably unimpressed by this behaviour and decided to take revenge and make Craig suffer. On the 29th of January 1999, the other woman wrote a nasty letter to Yvonne which detailed all the sordid details of her relationship with Craig. She really didn't hold anything at all back. As I think we all know, Sometimes doing something like that might make us feel temporarily better about a situation, but it's often other innocent parties who suffer the most from such actions. And in this case, it was Yvonne, who was utterly devastated to find out what Craig had done. Yvonne was determined to make sure that Craig would suffer for this. On the night Yvonne found out the truth, she punished Craig by making him stay in with her three children while she went out to party. This was not Craig's idea of a good time, looking after his baby daughter Abby and the other two children. He thought he should be the one out partying. But things had really changed for Yvonne, who was going to enjoy going out and enjoying herself much more than she had done regularly, and she continued to do so over the coming weeks. Their relationship began to go downhill from the day that Yvonne found out about his affair, And over the time that followed, Craig made his feelings known to his mates down at the pub. He wasn't happy with this situation at all, but he didn't leave Yvonne and the house they shared though, as despite not being willing to do the hard work with Abby and the children, he did love Abby, and he was worried that if he left Yvonne, she would stop him from seeing their daughter. As time went on, he got even more bitter about the life he was living, and would tell his mates things like, Yvonne's doing my head in, I need to get rid of her. He told one friend, David Stewart, that he needed to do away with her. David told his friend not to be so silly, and Craig rambled on in response about potentially giving her insulin as a way of doing it in an easy way and not leaving a trace. On Monday the 8th of February 1999, at 8am, The man who lived at number 9 of the terraced houses, Eamon Dawson, came out of his home on a normal but very frosty morning after a bitterly cold night to go to the post office. With his mind elsewhere, he was shocked to find a female body laying partially on his garden and partially within the bushes on the path that led up to the side of the house. Panicked and unsure quite what to do, he quickly ran round to his neighbour at number seven, who ran from her house to the pathway. 
Horrified, she immediately saw that the body was her neighbour from number five, Yvonne, and she looked as though she was dead. The neighbour called 999 and then went indoors to fetch her husband, so together they could call around to number five to see what had happened. Craig was there, and they told him breathlessly that they'd found Yvonne along the path and she didn't seem in a good way, to which Craig just said, Oh, thinking that he must have been in shock, as they all were, the group of neighbours waited for the emergency services to arrive. The police were soon on the scene and confirmed the terrible news that Yvonne was indeed dead at just 34, leaving three young children behind. They talked to all the neighbours living in the terrace, and one of the two things that they immediately noticed was that one, Craig had a black eye, and two, it looked on first viewing that Yvonne's body, it seemed that it had been placed there and had not just fallen. Had it not been an accident after all? And with the black eye that Craig was sporting, had he been responsible? The initial examination revealed no obvious injury to Yvonne's body, though it was clear that she'd been very sick as there were dribbles of vomit around her nose and mouth dried to her skin. Yvonne was found fully clothed, with soil scuff marks on her clothes, but there was no vomit on her clothing. A more detailed examination at the mortuary at St John's Hospital in Livingston, it was noted that there were in fact some small external injuries on her body. There were six bruises in different areas of the body, and a very faint orange-coloured rough mark on Yvonne's chin. There was a small bruise underneath her scalp, and her stomach showed evidence of acute hemorrhagic gastritis, but no abrasions. The initial post-mortem concluded there was no evidence of disease or injury in Yvonne that could account for her sudden and untimely death. Yvonne wasn't averse to taking recreational drugs, and tests revealed that she had taken amphetamines and a small amount of cannabis, although no alcohol. Her stomach contents merely showed that she'd had pizza for dinner not long before her death. And it wasn't clear if Yvonne had died on the 7th or the 8th of February, because it was so cold that night, which made pathology determining the time of death difficult. Yvonne's heart showed some signs of distress, and so her death was officially recorded as hypothermia, drugs misuse, acute amphetamine intoxication. It seemed it was a terrible and tragic accident. Craig appeared devastated when officers spoke to him and he couldn't believe that the love of his life had died so early. He put up a lovely picture of Yvonne in the living room of the house they shared and then did his best to go on with life as usual. While all this was happening, Craig's best friend David had been hiding a secret that nagged away at him. Just before Christmas 1998, Craig had offered for David to smell something he had in a small bottle. Craig said that a friend of his had got it for him, that it was chloroform, and that, I quote, it would do it and they couldn't trace it. Just the short smell of the substance made David feel very nauseous. The day after Yvonne had died and the police had all gone, Craig and David got together. Craig told him, What a buzz. I had to kick the cup over because she peed the carpet. 
David tried to put this matter to the back of his head. Surely his friend had just been mucking around. He wouldn't really have killed Yvonne, would he? Would he? He tried to clear... He tried to clear thoughts of Yvonne from his mind and look to the future. He'd recently proposed to his girlfriend and they were getting married in a few months in the summer. He asked Craig to be his best man and Craig was delighted to accept and told him that things were going really well. He didn't need to be out fencing so much in the cold as the insurance company paid out on accidental death benefits. Indeed, Craig was able to claim almost £16,000 for himself and his daughter from various insurance policies following Yvonne's death. Life went on for them all, David got married, and Craig was the best man. It was a fabulous day. But things quickly started to fall apart a little for David. His marriage was over within months, he lost contact with his children, and he still had suspicions just about what Craig had done to Yvonne. It was in his head, it was always there, it wouldn't go away. A year after Yvonne's death, despite reservations about the consequences of what he was about to do, David went to the police. David was immediately taken seriously and detectives reopened their investigation into Yvonne's death. They spoke again to friends of Craig's. Another friend, Gary, admitted to police that Craig and another man had come to visit him a few days after Yvonne was found and Craig had openly told them both that he'd been the person who had killed Yvonne. They didn't pay much attention or take it seriously. They assumed it was just Craig again pretending to be the big man in front of them. By now it's December 2000 and the statements from both Gary and David made Craig a suspect in what was now potentially a murder inquiry. Some of the original forensics were redone and shockingly chloroform was found in Yvonne's blood samples. The doctor who had carried out the initial post-mortem reconsidered all that he'd found in the light of the new allegations and reanalysis of the blood samples. The debate then began on how the chloroform affected Yvonne. Research has shown that a cloth soaked in chloroform forced down on a victim's nose and mouth might not only cause inhalation of the toxin but also a margin of suffocation. As the victim struggled, as Gary claimed Craig had told him Yvonne had done, this would cause adrenaline to be pumped around the body and this coupled with a lack of oxygen would reduce the amount of oxygen reaching the tissues allowing carbon dioxide to build up within the body. These factors together may account for the slight damage to Yvonne's heart found at the original post-mortem. It was also found that amphetamines, which had been found in Yvonne's previous blood sample, increases the effects of chloroform on the body. The doctor then re-examined the dried red-orange mark on Yvonne's lower lip, saying that chloroform was a solvent and if applied to the skin it can cause abrasions. The superficial bruise on the front of the left shoulder could have been produced by the application of pressure through clothing during forcible gripping. The bruise on the inner aspect of the right upper arm could have been produced by, he said, forceful digital pressure. He stressed, however, that neither of these injuries was entirely specific. He concluded, In summary, in the light of the information that has now become available to me, it is my opinion 
that the cause of death given in my initial supplementary report should be recorded as 1a chloroform intoxication. In March 2002, Yvonne's liver was retested to find out if there was chloroform present. The result that came back was yes. The levels were staggeringly high, unprecedented in evidence-based literature. This caused much debate among forensic specialists and others about how such high levels could come to be there as the amount in Yvonne's blood was, though toxic, fairly low in comparison. But with the evidence they had, detectives felt confident to charge Craig with Yvonne's murder and the trial took place on the 26th of March to the 18th of April 2002. At the trial, Gary claimed that Yvonne had gone to bed and Craig had waited for a time and then went upstairs to the bedroom where she was sleeping. He had a rag and chloroform, which he put onto the rag. He then held the rag over Yvonne's face and took it off only when she stopped wriggling. He picked her up off the bed and carried her down the stairs. He laid her on the living room floor. She urinated. He went upstairs and got her clothes and dressed her. He tipped a glass of orange juice over the floor to cover the urine stain. Then he picked up her body, took her out into the back garden, carried her to the end of the building and placed her down there where she was found the next morning by the neighbour. Other evidence presented to the jury was the position of the body, which looked as though someone had just placed her down rather than she'd fallen down. There were the marks on Yvonne's face and body, particularly the mark on the lower lip, which on the evidence could have been a chemical burn caused by a rag containing chloroform being placed against her mouth. The place where Yvonne was found, according to one witness, was not a place where Yvonne would ever normally have gone. There was evidence that lights were still on in Yvonne's house in the early hours of the morning during which she died. And there was evidence about the finding of vomit on Yvonne's clothing in a way seemingly as though she had vomited before the clothing was pulled onto her. Then there was the black eye that Craig was seen to have the following day after Yvonne's death. But Craig continued to deny the murder, saying that he'd stayed indoors that evening to have an early night whilst Yvonne had gone out for the evening. There was much debate in the trial by the two sides as to whether the chloroform was inhaled or digested, with some suggestion that Yvonne may have consumed chloroform knowingly, but the other side deemed that this was mere speculation and there was much more evidence to suppose it was inhaled. The very high amount in Yvonne's liver was still difficult. It was a minefield for the experts. The jury took all this information on board and retired to deliberate. After just three hours, the jury came back and announced that they had found Craig to be guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison of which he would serve a minimum of 18 years. The judge described it as almost a perfect murder and an act of unspeakable evil, telling Craig that, I quote, you've been convicted by the jury of a heinous crime. Over a period of months you devised a scheme to rid yourself of the woman with whom you lived by ending her life. He went on to say that Craig had showed no remorse and had instead displayed utter hypocrisy by having a photograph of Yvonne up in his living room. Whilst in prison, Craig didn't just retreat into a shell. He was thinking about life after a prison, 
and he used the right to buy scheme to attempt to purchase the house in which he lived with Yvonne. However, Westlovian Council took legal action to prevent him from doing so. Apologies if I sound like the Daily Mail with their bizarre obsession with house prices. But at the time, the three-bedroom terraced house was reportedly worth £90,000 at the maximum discounted rate of 40%. He was offered the opportunity to buy the house before the council bosses knew that he'd been convicted of killing Yvonne. Yvonne's ex-husband was furious at this. He said, It would be disrespectful to Yvonne's memory if this was allowed to happen. Any entitlement he had should have been cancelled when he was convicted of murder. Away from buying houses, Craig had a torrid time in prison being attacked a number of times. In the worst episode, he was slashed across the face by a fellow inmate, causing a large scar. All the while, Craig continued to protest his innocence, saying that he hadn't killed Yvonne. And after several appeals, it came to light that there was a miscalculation of the chloroform amount in Yvonne's liver, the figure that had seemed so incredibly high, and it had been increased incorrectly 1,000-fold. By this point, Craig had served nearly seven years in prison. At the Court of Criminal Appeal in Edinburgh in April 2009, the conviction was quashed because the jury had based their decision on the concentration of chloroform in Yvonne's liver being as they were told it was and not the reality, which was a much lesser amount. They'd based their decision on inhalation of the chloroform, which was now in doubt. It was then ordered by a majority that there would be no retrial. But this would have been an option for detectives following the introduction of the new double jeopardy legislation in Scotland, following the unsuccessful trial of Angus and Clare for the World's End murders in 2007. This meant that if detectives could find new evidence or satisfy other criteria, then Craig could be tried again for murder. But so far, he has faced no further charges. People who know me will know that I'm very mistrustful of experts. Maybe you are too. I appreciate we all make mistakes, but some of the mistakes made by so-called experts in cases such as this and many others ruin lives. First, they found no evidence of chloroform and then got the amount so massively wrong. It doesn't fill you with confidence, does it? That said, the so-called experts after the appeal now said that the signs were consistent with the drug being swallowed and that a possible reason for taking the chemical might be to help a person sleep. So they were suggesting that Yvonne might have taken the poison voluntarily. More analysis concluded that the samples would have been degraded after 18 months, so it was difficult to know how much chloroform was present in Yvonne's body for certain. Cray gave his mum Sylvia a beaming smile after the decision was announced at the appeal court in Edinburgh. For him, it seemed that the nightmare was finally over. Sylvia said later, I'm just happy that he is free. And outside the courtroom, she had angry words with members of Yvonne's family who were ushered out of the building. Upon his release, Craig first went to see his mum and dad, John and Sylvia, who still lived in Broxburn, who said they were over the moon to have him back. He then went to see the lawyer, who'd managed to get the conviction quashed, before then heading to all places, Asda, stocking up on his favourite misfood and drink. 
Maybe that isn't so strange after all. What would you stuck up on on day one, being released after seven years? Craig has since tried to claim compensation from the Scottish government for the seven years he was held in jail. The application was denied. Craig attempted to overturn this decision, but this was also refused. The authorities said that Craig's murder conviction did not represent, and I quote, the writing of a mistaken verdict. It went on to say that Craig fell into a category of compensation claimants who had been, and I quote, lucky to escape what was due to them. I don't quite understand, so are the authorities saying that even though Craig was found not guilty, he is in fact guilty? So what do you make of what we've heard today? Yvonne's family and friends are, as you'd expect, still feeling upset, angry and frustrated by what has happened. I understand why her brother feels there's no justice. They believe that Craig killed Yvonne, but managed just to get away with it. It seems this view is shared by the authorities too, who suggest that Craig is guilty, even though he walked away from the trial of free man. So what should happen now? The clear answer, I would suggest, is that detectives should put some new evidence in front of the court, as if they truly believe he's guilty. It surely makes a mockery out of the justice system if they don't. Sure, I appreciate there are always other priorities, but the situation can't be left as it is. At the very least, they owe this to the memory of Yvonne, her three children, and wider family and friends. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. There's almost 53,000 of us there now. You'd be very welcome. And to support the show and get your entry in for the competition, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. There's loads of other stuff there as well. There's bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content. There's lots and lots there for you to enjoy. Well, when I say enjoy, there's lots there. So this is my last podcast of 2020. It's been quite a year. Looking ahead to 2021, there is CrimeCon UK. Google it and get your ticket now using the code UKTC as prices will be going up on the 1st of January. So that is all from me for today and for 2020. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to me during the year. And thank you for all your comments on social media, all your emails and all your other interactions. They're the reason why I still carry on producing this show every week. So on that upbeat bombshell, that is all from me. Please do take it easy out there. Try and enjoy yourself. And most of all, do stay classy. Cheerio.